Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad you're here with me for another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. This episode is a replay of a live I did last year around the start of school about after-school meltdowns. This is something that I experience in my home with my kiddos, and it's something that I hear about every year when school starts back up again. Um, Kids come home from school and they are just a mess and they kind of unload all over their parents. And this year is no exception. In fact, I think it's even heightened and bigger for lots of the kiddos. For a lot of us in this world, back to school looks incredibly different. It looks different for the kids. Um, The the expectations that we're placing on kids who are going back to in-person schooling are much higher. They have different things they have to worry about. There's heightened stress. And for parents, there's heightened emotion. Some of us who are able to send our kids back to school have this big mix of feelings of feeling so grateful that they are back with their friends, back with their teachers, back in a context that is loving and supportive of them. Some of us also have these very mixed feelings of worrying about their safety and the safeties of the school and if it's the right thing to do. Um, So parents are feeling a lot of big feelings and kids are as well. So the information that's in this podcast is not contextualized in terms of of what schooling and after-school meltdowns look like in the context of a pandemic, but child development hasn't changed. Respectful parenting hasn't changed, and what kids need from us hasn't changed. So the recommendations that are in this podcast episode are still just as relevant and possibly even more so. I think as we prepare for schooling to look different, whether your kids are going to in-person schooling with new health and safety guidelines that they have to follow and procedures, or if your kids are virtual schooling here at home with you and you're starting to have to navigate being their teacher and their parent, you can expect all of these things to add stress to a situation that already taxes their self-regulation and as a result see more meltdowns or blow-ups or they need to offload some of that stress. So if anything, this 
episode is even more relevant to what's going on for you right now um, and for your kids as they navigate the kind of the new world after coronavirus or rather during coronavirus. And so I just want you to know that this information is here for you. I'm here to support you no matter what schooling decision you've made or been forced to make for your kiddos. I think you're wonderful and I think you're doing your very best and I think the kids are doing their very best in this situation that none of us asked to be in. And so I want to just send you lots of compassion and grace and hold you gently in my heart. And I hope that with the tips in this episode, your transition back into schooling, whether it's homeschooling for the first time or you've been homeschooling forever, whether it's virtual schooling or hybrid schooling or your kids are back in person, whatever schooling situation your kids are in, if they're having a hard time, having big emotions and needing to offload some of the stress and decompress. I hope that this episode will support you in supporting them. And just know, I believe in you and you've got this. This week, we're talking about after-school meltdowns or tantrums, kind of that resettling period that kids tend to have right after school. And we're going to be digging in to why they happen, uh, what to do during them, and how to hopefully prevent them, not because we're afraid of their meltdowns, but because we want to keep kids feeling safe and connected and help them manage these moments of dysregulation without having to go kind of full nuclear. But we will talk about how to handle it when that full nuclear thing does happen. So here's the scenario. You've picked up your kiddo from school. Um, They've come out happy to see you. Um, You've maybe hugged and had a chance to ask them how their day was and you kind of start chatting. And maybe you make it to the car. Maybe they're able to hold it together until they get home. But at some point, the sweet child who you love and are so looking forward to reconnecting with dissolves in this kind of hot mess of tears and yelling and, and and hitting, running away, screaming, um, kind of the whole thing. Lots of parents talk to me about this scenario. Um, It seems like it happens often every day. And I wanted to talk about this topic now at the beginning of the school year as uh, people are settling into new routines. Um, The first few weeks of school can be really hard on kids and families, parents too. And now as you've been settled in for a few weeks, if these meltdowns are still happening, um, I want to offer you some information about why they're happening, kind of dig into what's happening in your kid's body, in their brains, and how how to go about preventing them. So why do these meltdowns happen? Well, first and foremost, they often are very developmental. Your kid, no matter how young they are, have a hard time regulating themselves at school. All folks have a difficult time regulating from time to time. And school, particularly traditional school, even daycare, can have a, put a lot of load onto your child's self-regulation systems. It takes a lot of self-regulation and executive functioning to stay quiet, to stay seated, to wait in order to answer t- teachers' questions, to manage small disappointments that come up on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and while your child is at school, they are often working really hard to hold it all together, controlling their impulses and their emotions, um, and staying kind of 
in what we call the green zone. They have to work really hard to stay in that green zone at school. And so by the time they get done with school and they're coming home and um, walking into the house or getting into the car with you, they are just done. They've kind of gone through all of their self-regulation resources and they have nothing left. And so that's often what's going on for a kid in terms of physiology and their cognitive abilities at the end of the day. This is even more true for kids who are sensitive or intense or spirited or strong-willed. School can be an environment for those kids that's very overwhelming. Uh, the lights can be really overstimulating. The loud noises of all the other kids can be overstimulating for those kids, particularly those who are sensitive. And those who are strong-willed or spirited, they've been being controlled pretty much all day long. And so at the end of the day, they are just done. And so the second reason why these after-school meltdowns happen, oh, sorry, this is called, um, when this meltdown happens, that when it's kind of a, a moment of dysregulation where the you know, their stores of self-regulation have been completely zapped and their executive functioning is kind of gone, has gone down the drain, they've used it all up, and that's called restraint fatigue. So they've been restraining themselves, they've been regulating themselves all day, and they just can't do it anymore. Um, sometimes it's called restraint collapse as well. So there's a name for it. It's really normal. It's developmentally appropriate. Uh, this is something that we can be expecting of our kids because school is so taxing for them, even daycare. All right. So even if you have a young one, and again, it is can be even more strong for those kids who are sensitive or more highly strong or anxious or spirited. Okay, so then the second reason why this happens when we pick up our kids or maybe even later in the day as they're settling in to a connecting time with their parent um, is because you are their safe place. You're the one person that they know will love them without a shadow of doubt, no matter what. All day long, they've been holding it together, um, and then they see you, and they're in this loving place, and you're hugging them, and the floodgates just open, because they know that they don't need to hold it back anymore. Everything they've been holding back, it all just kind of comes pouring out of them. Now, sometimes kids who are lucky um, have it come out in a soft, sad way where you um, are inclined to just scoop them up and snuggle them and soothe all those hard things. Um, some kids who are less lucky can have it come out in really kind of ugly, angry ways that are harder to be loving towards. Sometimes it comes out in these, in anger, rage, and physiological dysregulation, like hit, hitting, kicking, falling, collapsing to the ground, or running away. There's a couple of reasons why these two responses happen. Um, one possibility is, is, is that they rely on us as their safe place, and they've been forced to cope without us all day long. So they've been forced to cope without us all day long, and there might be some pent-up feelings about that, about, yes, they've missed us, but they might be a little upset about the fact that they've missed us and that, they, that we haven't been there for them. And so you can sometimes feel that in the tone of the release after school. And then um, for, for other kids, it, it, that piece of it isn't there. I do want to let you know that that's an attachment-driven process, and it's rooted in the attachment that you have with your child, and it really, if that undertone is there, that emotional undertone is there, it's best to simply accept it and let it flow through you um, and help them release it, So, because connection is waiting for you on the other side of that, and they need to get those feelings, those pent-up feelings 
out in order to really benefit from that connection, that restored connection that you have with them. Another possible explanation is that the kids who need our love the most often ask for our love in the most difficult ways, in the ways that it makes them seem unlovable. And so it's really important to keep in mind that kids behave in unlovable ways um, when they are asking us the question of, do you love me unconditionally, even when I'm like this, even when I'm at my worst? And just know that our response in these moments answers that question louder than and deeper than any times that we say, I love you to them. So if they come home, if your kids come home asking you the question, do you love me unconditionally with their behavior? Be prepared to answer that question and know that your behavior in response to that question is, is answering them. Um, and so that's where love loving, warm, compassion, um, embracing really comes in so that they know that no matter how hard of a day they've had, no matter how, what they have to get off of their chest, that you're there for them and that you accept them and all of their big feelings. Okay, so now that we know why these meltdowns happen, um, how can we start supporting our kids to move through them with empathy, compassion, and respect? Well, as always, I'm going to make sure that you are working to shift your mindset around these meltdowns, okay? These meltdowns are developmental. They are not personal. And so anything that gets said during them or gets done to you during them, please don't take those things personally. Of course, you've got to set boundaries on your own safety and the safety of the kids around you if this meltdown is really big and there's hitting or um, scratching, those types of things. Yes, you've got to set boundaries, but just know that while you're setting this kind of these boundaries with your kid and keeping yourself safe, have an internal boundary with yourself, a mindset of this is not personal, maybe isn't even my real kid. My real kid is the one who's sweet and loving. This is a triggered kid. This is a kid who's done. This is the kid's amygdala. Okay. So we are not, you're not working with your kid's prefrontal cortex, the part of their brain that does all of their emotional processing and all of their concrete decision making. All, all of that is not online right now when they're having these overload meltdowns, these restraint fatigue meltdowns. They're not online. Do you know what is online? Their amygdala, their fight or flight um, system. And so hitting, kicking, scratching, that's all part of a fight response. And so you can trust in that moment when that's happening, that you can safely set that boundary and know that it's not personal. It's not about you. And the other mindset shift that is so important to have in these moments is that these meltdowns are good for your kid. These meltdowns are desirable for your kid. Now, if you have a strong-willed kid or a spirited kid or an intense kid, sometimes these meltdowns can be quite big. I have one of those myself. Her meltdowns are a lot sometimes, but I know that she needs to have them and that on the other side of them, when that's all been released, all that stuff that she's been saving all day has been unloaded, there's my girl. My girl is waiting for me on the other side of that. And so having that trust that this is good for your kids, that they need this and um, that it will benefit them and it will benefit your relationship if you hold space for it and allow it to happen, allow it to flow through um, without damaging your relationship, without putting you in a bad mood, without taking any of it personally. Okay, so the mindset is the first of the... I'm going to give you three tips today. Mindset is the first one. Really be clear with yourself that this is not personal and that this is good for your kids, that they need this, the release that's happening in these moments. 
Okay, so then the second tip that I have for you is to figure out what you need to do and what your kid needs to kind of restock their self-regulation stores, what they need to decompress and unwind and to feel more grounded and balanced. All kids are different. They all need different things, but most kids need some of these things, if not all of these things. Most kids need to feel safe to let go and unwind, and they feel safest and most secure with you. So in those moments, they often need a warm smile and hug and a simple, I missed you. Look them in the eyes and say, I'm so glad to see you. Often that connection can be really soothing to them, and it can allow them to start that unwinding and decompressing process. Some kids like to cuddle and have some shared reading or storytelling. You know your kid, kid best, and so you know, likely know already what makes them feel connected and grounded. If you don't know, you can always ask them. You should also, in, um, when you're greeting, try not to pepper them with questions. Give them some space and trust that you will find out the information that you need to know. Um, and you can always ask them for uh, um, details about their day, later. The dinner table can be a great place to do that. When you are first greeting them, they need space and time to process their day and decompress and kind of heal from their day. So some kids also need a snack immediately. If you're having big meltdowns like in the car or as you walk in the door, I would highly recommend having a snack with you, something that's high in protein and that has a good balance of carbs and fats in it to help their body physiologically be ready for the rest of the day. Oftentimes, kids' schedules are not conducive to having a good, healthy snack, and often schools don't provide a snack time in the late afternoon. And they also, if they are providing snack, they aren't always great options. Like I know my daughter's um, public school offers, when she was in kindergarten, offered a choice of pretzels, goldfish, or I don't remember, something else. Um, and it was just not enough for her. So I like to always have a, a balanced protein, carb, and fat snack with me to get her system back into balance. So having a snack that you know that they like, that they'll be able to eat, and sometimes don't even talk to them until they're eating. <laughs> um, and then to get up some pent-up energy, you can um, do if that's something that you, your kids need, um, you can go for a walk. You can walk home from school if that's a possibility for you or stop at a park on the way home if you know that they need to kind of get that big body movement that they've been controlling all day. And you can also try to get them laughing. So laughing is a great way to release stress. There are studies that show that it's phenomenal at releasing cortisol. Um, so definitely get them laughing if you can. Have fun and play with them. Um, that's a wonder. It, you know your way, the way that your kid likes to laugh and have fun. Um, so, and that can be lovely and reconnecting too. And then finally, making sure that they have ample time to play when they get home. Either playing outside or inside with activities that are regulating for your child. And every child is regulates differently. Some kids get really soothed by swinging or other um, types of kind of vestibular stimulation. Some kids, when they get swinging, they it ramps them up. So, and maybe they need a calmer activity. You know your kid best, and one of the best things you can do is ask them what they need, what makes them feel like they've got lots of big energy, um, and what makes them feel calm and grounded. And tailor your after school time to their needs. And then the third tip that I have for you today is to hold space for their big feelings. So the other two tips are primarily about prevention, but what about when 
despite your best efforts to soothe them and help them decompress from the day, they still have these big meltdowns. Well, first of all, we talked about this mindset shift of welcoming the meltdown, understanding that it is helpful to your child um, and that they are going to feel so much better when they've had it and take carrying that mindset into the way that you hold space for them when they are having the meltdown. You don't have to say much to your child when they're having these big feelings beyond, oh, this is really hard, or I'm here, I'm here with you, I hear you. Some kids who are having a big meltdown can't even handle you saying anything, and so a simple mm-hmm is best. Some kids will want to snuggle as they release, some will want to blow off steam in private, some will need to move through anger and heart, like harder emotions before softening into softer emotions. Others may just collapse into tears. There's no right way to have an after-school meltdown, and our job as respectful parents is simply to respond to the child in front of us in this moment and trust them and hold space for their big feelings. You don't have to do anything to fix them. You don't have to do anything to get them to go away. If it seems like they are having one like meltdown, one little tantrum, one thing after another over the smallest little things, just know they probably really need a good cry. And so rather than trying to fix whatever they're having a meltdown about or trying to stop them from crying or saying, oh, you're okay, or oh, just get over it, oh, this is no big deal, welcome it. Come into a space of she needs this. He is going to feel so much better after he has this meltdown. And I promise you they're going to release and they're going to feel so good afterwards. And then afterwards, you can, again, engage them in some of those healing activities like play, giggling, some big body play, um, or maybe even just snuggling up and reading with each other um, where they aren't doing the reading, you're doing the reading, and they can just relax. So the best way to figure out um, what they need to feel better after a long day is to ask them. I've said this a couple times already, but really kids really are the experts on their own experience. So it's best to ask about these things, not in the moment. So if you are already having a meltdown or the meltdown has just happened and you're kind of coming back out of it, that is not the time to problem solve this and ask for what they need. You need to do this ahead of time. You need to do it preventatively um, and make a plan. Weekends are a really good time. You should choose a time when you everything is calm and connected, where they are well-fed and well-rested, um, so you can have a conversation. You can start the conversation by simply stating something like, I've noticed that after school has been really hard for you lately. What's going on? Or what's up? And just go from there. You don't need to list all of their problem behaviors. They likely already know them. Um, so you don't need to say, I've noticed that you've been having like lots of tantrums after school or that you've been hitting and kicking your sister after school. They, they know that those things aren't allowed. They know that they're not supposed to be doing those things. And they know that they're happening and that they haven't been able to control them. Because if they could have controlled them, if they could have stopped themselves at that point from doing those things, they absolutely would have. But they've been doing those things, they've been stopping themselves from doing those things all day long and they could no longer stop themselves, okay? So we don't need to tell them all the things that they've been doing wrong. We just need to say, I noticed it's been really hard for you lately. What's up? And that kind of the, it's been really hard for you lately 
encompasses all of that. So how sometimes the meltdown kind of happens after dinner towards bedtime. I think that that's really common too. They are settling into sleep and they are kind of realizing that sleep is coming, rest is coming, and they, they've got this whole day that they need to just release and get off their chest. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing to do. I, for moments like that in my house with my family, I we have found that having some wrestling time right either before or after dinner is a great way to get kind of some of that out before settling into bed. It's very regulating. And if you have a, a parent in the house who's kind of better at the big body wrestling type things, have them do that. That can be a really special connecting time. So what to do when the meltdown is kind of happening in the context of a limit that's been set or a boundary that's been set. And should we let go of the limit? Should we hold firm on the limit and kind of what to do? So sometimes if you know that a meltdown is really what needs to happen, like you've tried the preventative stuff and you what you you know that they really need that meltdown to heal and to kind of release it all, holding a limit firm, not in a mean way or in a punitive way, but as, as a kind of like, I'm going to hold this firm so that she can have the opportunity to release can be really helpful. If you think you're, you're in an instance where your child is tired and just needs some grace, I think it's okay to be flexible with a limit. So that's what balanced parenting is all about. It's about offering a child the security of firm, consistent limits and boundaries, while also understanding that they're human. And sometimes we all need a little bit of compassion and flexibility. I mean, that's what balanced parenting is in, in a nutshell, right? I mean, there's lots of ways to define balanced parenting, but that's what how I'm speaking about it right now anyway, is finding that balance between flexibility and firm boundaries. I think sometimes we're so afraid of getting into a place where we're being permissive with our kids that as a result, we don't move towards flexibility when we could, when we could just offer our child a little bit of compassion and a a little bit of an opportunity to release in a softer way without forcing the meltdown. So that's kind of up to you and it's a judgment call. You know your child best. You can sense their kind of emotional status and kind of play that a little bit by year. But I don't think there's anything wrong with offering flexibility when when you need to um, on these moments or holding firm on a limit um, when you know that, that limit is going to invite a healing meltdown. So Dr. Laura Markham from AHA Parenting and, and the book um, Peaceful Parents, Happy Kids talks a little bit about that, about scheduling meltdowns and how helpful that can be um, when things, when they kind of need to release. So one, shifting your mindset that these meltdowns are not personal, they're developmental, and that they can be really healthy and healing for your kids. Um, Two, that you need to figure out ways to restock their self-regulation stores, and that's individual for every kid. So please feed them (laughs) because food can help so much. Um, And then the third one is to hold space for their big feelings. Just accept it, love them, let it wash over you and let them feel secure and firm in the knowledge that you are going to love them no matter what. So those are the three things that I wanted to share with you today. 
Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast and if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.